in a dark cave or mine on your own and you're on the rebreather and all you can hear is your breath going in and out and in and out and apart from that it's complete silence it's it's so relaxing off gassing a scuba podcast with host nick hogel What started as a family activity soon turned into a passion for Scott R.G. As one who always welcomes a challenge, technical and overhead diving soon came into his sights. Relaxation and meditation are some of the words he uses when describing his time in the overhead environment. I sit down with Scott and speak with him about his motivation for exploring, the importance of taking your time, his love of the KISS Sidewinder, the mines of Scotland, cold water diving, solo diving, and much more. Please enjoy. Scott, how are you doing? Is it morning Morning over there for yeah, you? Right? Yeah, it's 8 a.m. in beautiful, not-so-warm Scotland, Nick. So uh, nice, nice to see you. Nice to meet you online. Yeah, yeah. Very, very nice to meet you. And... Um, uh, so Scotland, I've always had a fascination with Scotland since I was a little kid, always wanted to go there. Uh, my middle name is actually Scottish Ramsey oh, yeah. and, uh, yeah, so it's a place that I've told myself I will visit at one point in my life. So I'll definitely have to, uh, come out there and I'm, I'm really excited and curious to hear about the diving over there. Um, Little, it's definitely you know more used to the the warm water stuff, but I'm sh- which I'm assuming it's pretty cold. Over there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a little bit milder this week. Um, I think we might have a white Christmas, so temperatures are starting to drop the last few days. But yeah, it's um, you can get four seasons in one day in Scotland. It's uh, <laughs> it's great. Awesome, awesome, man. Well, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. But uh, my first question I always like to ask is. Tell me about that first breath underwater. Tell me what led to it, the the what, the why, the how, and uh, what the whole experience was like. Sure. So um, my, my first breath underwater was actually, I served in the military uh, with the Parachute Regiment back in the early 90s, uh, late 80s. And as part of a recreation uh, week, we got a chance to go and try to do some scuba diving. And it was up at Sandhurst and in a place called Stony Cove. Then didn't really do much formal certification. I uh, was doing a bit of diving, but it was very just informal. Probably then fast forward, the real certifications started to ratchet up when my daughter, my good lady uh, and myself on a trip to Egypt, my daughter had a curiosity to go and do our open water certification. Uh, so that was about what 2009-2010. So as a family, you know, so quite a bit, you know, th- nearly you know 20 years on, we'd we'd done some scuba diving in between, but nothing formally. You know, we'd done DSDs and these kind of things, but we decided to undertake our open water certification. Egypt, lovely location, crystal clear waters. So we did that. Everyone enjoyed it, and um, it just became the kind of family norm that we would have a vacation, a holiday, and uh, book somewhere that we could all go diving. And I think it's fair to say that all three of us got the bug, which made it easier for me because I really had the bug. And um, <laughs> and, 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 and over the course of visiting Egypt at that point, uh, around 2010, 2011, up to 2014, 15, we're probably lucky to be getting over there three times a year. And we was really, I mean... It'd be a vacation would consist of 20, 30, maybe more dives. So we're really, really kind of doing a lot of diving as a family. The, the addiction, if you like, became so much that in 2014, I decided to do my open water scuba instructor course in IDC. And there's a, a fantastic team, um, Steve Pryor and Janet is, is a wife, who would hold IDCs out in, in uh, sorry, Egypt. And uh, went out there and, and uh, obviously knew the locations, knew the dive sites. So got my open water scuba instructor course and um, passed that. 
and probably shortly after that started to get the bug for side mount and technical diving had met an Italian course director called Massimo Casablanca or Max as most people know him and he kind of um, got me into side mount and technical diving and a few years later qualified as a tech instructor side mount instructor and all these kind of things and yeah since then I've just kept going and dipped in and out and teaching because I don't I don't do this full time you know scuba diving for me is just a hobby it's just my relaxation meditation if you like um so yeah I've done quite a lot of caving overhead so question when you went towards the open water instructor was that just because you wanted to go to that next level or was there something there that like, oh, you know, I might want to teach people because uh, I know a lot of people will go into it for various or people will go into it for a lot of different reasons. So was it just kind of to, to, to see if you could do that next level? Yeah, I think my parents always said as a child that I, I wasn't quite right. And in the respect <laughs> that... Um, they always thought I was I was one of these individuals who was looking for a challenge and, and always looking for the next challenge. And hence, I joined the parachute regiment at quite a young age because it's quite a, a, a hard selection process. And, and really, as the diving, it wasn't chasing certifications like a lot of people fall in the trap of doing. It was more a case of... I wanted a challenge. I wanted to do something that would test myself, test my skills. And, and that certainly came true when I did my dive master course. And at one point, I thought, yeah, you know, maybe it's part of a retirement plan. I might retire somewhere warm and teach scuba. And uh, and that was really kind of the catalyst for doing the, the IDC and the instructor's exam in Egypt in 2014. So I know for a lot of people, especially in the recreational world, including myself, you know, I kind of went through that progression, open water, advanced rescue, all the way up to instructor. When I, I, so I recently, probably within the last like two years, kind of started getting into the technical side of diving. Was there a challenge moving from like, were you taught like kind of traditional recreational and then try when you started to move into the technical world did you find it challenging i mean obviously you're 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 doing it now but like talk about that progression a little bit because i know it could be a little bit different for for everybody quite fortunate and and maybe it's just luck but over the years even my open water scuba instructor was very strict my my course examiners were very strict and and max was very strict who taught me to side mount Probably the biggest or one of the most interesting transitions was round about 2014, we'd started going to Mexico um, quite a lot and we'd done some cavern dives and, and was starting to see the, the attraction of diving overhead. So I was already at that point a side mount instructor and I'd been teaching um, side mount in the UK, probably one of the few people in Scotland who was qualified to do it. It was still quite new back then in 2014, 2015. But what was quite funny, firstly, was the transition from warm water diving, aluminium 80s, no gloves, you know, to cold water, thick dry gloves, you know, freezing cold. So that was an interesting transition um, before I would start to teach anyone in the UK. I wanted to make sure that the skills that were slick in warm water were equally slick in, in cold waters of the UK. But when I went to um, start the overhead training, which was back in 2016 with... Um, a guy called Tristan Termat. What was hilarious at that point was I thought I was already like a super diver and a good trim and <laughs> and I was an instructor. And back then I think in about I don't know six hundred dives, seven hundred dives, you know, and probably three, four hundred in side mount. And day one of the the cavern course, we went to the Sunoti. It was Taj Mahal, and I felt like a bubble maker. I felt like I just. <laughs> Because I mean, I, I think I think my first dive of the cavern course was laying on the rocks where Tristan ripping apart my rig and changing the bungees, and and I was like, oh my god, I'm just like, I'm a complete novice. <laughs> so, but it, it was a real shock to the system when you think 
you're probably small fish in a big ponds. The the best way to put it when I went and and had that introduction to overhead. But uh, yeah, it's been a fabulous journey since. Yeah, yeah, no, and and honestly though, that's I feel like that's such a pivotal moment when things like that happen, just because you know. Uh, a, a certain group of people would just bow out and be like, this isn't for me, I'm done. And then other people take on that challenge, but they're also receptive to it. Like, oh, okay, there's there's a different way. Like going in thinking like, oh, I, I know what I'm doing. And then just having your, your ego, you know, brought down to the level of your shoes and taking that and learning from it is is such a huge thing that I feel like kind of some people miss out on. So that's, that's awesome that you were able to like overcome it, take it in. And then how did the rest of the, the overhead training go, the cavern? I think you make a good point, Nick. Resilience, strength of character. And for me, I'm not advocating failure, but I think to a point, failure is a good thing. If you can dust yourself off and, and step back up and say, right, okay, here's why I failed, understand why I failed. And I'm not saying it was necessarily a failure, but it was certainly a reality check as to, and probably a very good one given the, the type of training we're about, the journey we're about to undertake, because uh, as you know, cave overhead diving's a little bit more challenging, potentially more dangerous if you don't have the right training, equipment and experience. So that cavern course was done 2016 it was. And probably a big mistake most scuba divers make, whether it's through equipment or training, is a lot of people chase certification or keep getting new bits of equipment. Tristan, pretty much old school, was like, take your time, do your cavern course. And it wasn't one of these ploys to just rinse you for money. It was a more of a principle look. I want you to build experience up between your cavern course, come back. So yeah, over a course of a few years, I went on to do numerous overhead courses, became a full cave diver. I went on to do decompression training you know, with stages I went on to do DPV course and probably one of the most interesting courses was going on to do the advanced side mount workshop and it's more a workshop rather than an actual course and that's not for the faint hearted. You'll be able to see some some videos <laughs> online. It's uh, you, You're really pushing the skills. But for me, by that point, I was diving every week in the UK. So I was, I was getting out to Mexico two, three times a year fortunately again but every week I was diving mine overhead and cave systems in North Yorkshire so really I really built up a lot a lot of overhead experience and a lot of dives I was doing was solo dives and and that's quite the norm in the UK that the cave diving group or the CDG they teach a lot of their students to dive solo in the overhead environment because caves in the UK are a little bit different to that of Mexico. And then we're kind of on double stages, kind of really doing some long dives and started to see the stuff online about the Kiss Rebreather. And then three and a half, four years ago was introduced. It came by chance, really, because I'm supposed to be doing my Kiss Sidewinder course with Patrick Woodman in ProTech. And because of COVID, I couldn't get out there. So I got in touch with uh, a guy, uh, Jasek, um, I won't even try and pronounce Jasek's surname, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we did my, my Kiss Sidewinder course, so let's say that was about three and a half years ago, and that was a game changer because I was already doing some exploration in the UK in a place I refer to as Project X, and to be honest, an open circuit, it was becoming a real challenge with the percolation problems, the visibility problems, and it was laying a lot of line. And uh, the Kiss Sidewinder probably allowed me to f finish that project just with uh, the benefits of no time, gas, you know, stress, and less percolation issues. So probably the latest part of the journey was Sidewinder and um, CCR overhead qualifications. So, yeah, done quite a bit. Okay. I just wanted to bring it back just a little bit because I, I do want to go into the, the rebreather 
uh, certification and that whole process. But you had mentioned that you were doing a lot of diving in the UK and there's it's just different there, how they train. Can you can you talk a little bit more about, well, I guess, what are the conditions in the UK like? And then also, yeah, just tell me, you know, a little bit about that whole scene, the, the CDG. I'm not part of any real organisation, yes, I've got my certifications. I think in, in, in terms of diving, it can get a little bit political. And there's you know people <laughs> like, you must do it this way, or you must rig it. And I understand the DIR concept, right? So I don't disagree with that. And as far as I see it, there's kind of three rules in diving, with the fourth one being optional. So you know, dive safe. Don't put yourself at risk. Don't put anyone else at risk. Look after the environment. And then the look cool option, that's that's optional, right? <laughs> um, but it's a nice one to have. Um, but um, in the UK, one of the kind of historic organisations involved in a lot of the early exploration of caves all over the UK were the Cave Diving Group. You know, it's well documented. There's a lot of lot of people who did some fantastic exploration. And these guys are avid cavers, dry cavers. So a lot of the training they do is just slightly different. It's um if you think of a picture perfect side mount diver and then think of the opposite. That's generally how some of the C D G look. Um but the the way they dive is a practical way to dive you know and uk cave diving part of the reason that uh, it's been explained to me that they teach candidates to dive solo is because that in a lot of instances the restrictions are a lot tighter and the last thing you want to do is you and i go for a cave dive and we both go in and then you get stuck and i can't get out so they teach everyone to be self-sufficient, self-reliant very early on in their, their cave diving training. And and yeah, that, that's typically the challenges uh, in the UK. The visibility can be a lot poorer than certainly a Mexico or a Sardinia or even France. The access can be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, normally involves, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in other locations, uh, colder water obviously. So when you combine all these things, the, the training within the CDG is quite rigorous. And, you know, a, a lot of my friends are in the CDG. Uh, I dive with them regularly. And they use places like Hurtle Pot, which is a, a fantastic training site down in uh, in North Yorkshire. And then the other side of, of the um, diving scene and overhead in the UK is the mine systems that are, that are there. So, and for me, the cave systems are generally a few hours away whereas the mines are about just an hour away. So I spend a lot of times in the mine systems. And again, they present the same challenges to a point, but some slightly different challenges as well. Yeah, no, and I've, I've definitely know the history a little bit of the CDG. And it's interesting to hear because it is such a contrast from, you know, your picture perfect side mount diver today and then, and then the way that they're doing it because... Uh, they're mostly just doing it to get through the sumps and then more dry caving, more sumps. Um, so it's just interesting to hear. I think, and I know it was kind of glamorized to a point, but I believe on speaking to the guys, it's pretty much true. You just need to look at the tie rescue where Rick Stanton and he turns up with like an inner tube kind of tied his back. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Rick's world-renowned, different level diver, the projects him and a lot of these guys have done is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they made to a kind of Mexican style cave diving structure look, you know, untidy and but their unorthodox approach is very practical and designed for a whole different type of diving. And these guys are fantastic divers and they deserve the recognition. Awesome. Awesome. So um, just to kind of bring it back a little bit forward, when you went into the Sidewinder training, was that the first unit that you trained on for a rebreather? Yeah, well, I tried a JJ years ago with Massimo in Egypt. But yeah, I tried a couple other units. But for me, because I was diving so much in side mount, there's two points, the sidewinder, uh, or a few points I liked, sorry. Firstly, it was just going to sit on top of my side mount configuration. 
The second attraction was it was an MCCR, so a mechanical rebreather, rather than having a solenoid. And just, it was being dived a lot of time with people like Ed Sorensen. Patrick was doing a lot of diving with it. Tristan, who had trained with in Mexico and was now diving with um, regularly, he'd started diving on the unit. So it just kind of made sense to me. And, uh, and that was, uh, you know, we go back to learning the cavern dive. I can remember buying my unit in day one of my history breather course and going, "What the hell have I done? I mean, I've, 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 I've now I'm a fantastic diver, or so you always think, and you introduce another effectively buoyancy device because you've got your dry suit, your wing, and now you introduce a counter lung. And what I don't think a lot of scuba divers realise, and you'll know this as an instructor, is that to maintain buoyancy a lot of times we use our lungs and we'll maybe take a slightly smaller breath or a slightly bigger breath well we're a rebreather that doesn't matter two hooks <laughs> <laughs> so there i'm day one on my rebreather course going i've spent five six thousand pounds uk on a rebreather i hate this what have i done i'm like <laughs> but um it, it, it soon settled down. Yasik's a super nice guy, very patient, very competent. And day two or three, I'm going, yeah, kind of getting this. And now, to be honest, I hate diving open circuit. Oh, really? I, I okay. Just, okay. Well, hate's probably too strong a word. I just love my sidewinder. No, that's awesome. I, I, and, and to be honest, I've heard that a lot where once people kind of transition over into a rebreather um well one i know you know they'll, they'll they say you should try to dive the unit as much as possible to gain that experience but um a lot of people will just really enjoy it and um so i did a try dive on a couple of units uh like a couple weeks back and it, it really was different and it was funny because we went to like a little spot in, you know, just, uh, I don't want to say open water. It was confined water. It was just a really, really nice mellow area. And I would catch myself doing that. Like when I was trying to just kind of hover a little bit, I would catch myself trying to like breathe in or just yeah. do my breath. Yeah. And, and then I had to like kind of turn that off, but it's, not so easy when when you're it's been so ingrained yeah yeah it's just it's it's just it's just like a built-in you just unconsciously do it as part of buoyancy and uh yeah so and, and how did you get on then did you enjoy it what units did you try yes yeah, so i um so i tried the the revo i tried the choptima yeah. and a really 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 quick thing uh or just time on the uh the dive soft liberty and no i really did enjoy it nowhere near enough time to really grasp the the concept but well i guess i should say i did grasp the concept but i wasn't able to apply it as much as as much as i would have liked to and because that's something i'm looking into is is rebreathers and um one of the one of the big ones that i was looking at was like the sidewinder um, i was kind of looking at the gemini and one of the things that appeals to me is because i do like diving side mount and then also um just the mobility being able to travel with those units because they're so light because i where i am i have to be able to hop on a plane to go dive you know that's kind of mostly what i'm doing so to be able to throw something in my luggage and that's one of the i'm not going to say that's the biggest selling point of units like that but it's a huge selling point especially for me because that's kind of one of the things like i can't you know and i know people do it like they'll you know lug around a jj all over the world but that's a lot of weight yeah <laughs> yeah so so you're right nick the gemini it's it's out there now quite a lot of people starting to dive the unit sidewinder sidewinder 2 coming the whole travel element is fantastic although just coming back from mexico that was the first time i'd really i would always get stopped by customs but they were almost insistent I'd go and check it. And after a small discussion, yeah, I managed to convince them to allow me to take it on the plane. But the, the fantastic thing about these units is they break down. They're very easy. You can go in your hand luggage. And certainly for me, the Sidewinder's really super easy to maintain. Pretty much, I think the only thing I've really changed in 
in nearly four years a few rings and I loved it that much. I went and bought a second unit that's just sat there um, in the box just in case I need it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Always need the backup. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's awesome. So um, tell me a little bit about the, the diving that you're doing now. So you do a lot of mine diving in the area that you're in. Apart from getting abroad to Mexico, a few years ago, I've started going to Sardinia in the summer, diving with a shop out there called Blueforia. So Danny's nice guy, Sidewinder diver as well. So the dive in Sardinia is really nice. But in the UK, just for where I'm located, there's generally a couple of mine systems that I go and dive regularly. So the first one's very well known. It's documented uh, in Martin Farr's book. Um, called Ruscobi Limestone Mine. So been diving that since about 2016. Uh, the guys had mapped out most of it, although probably in the last few years and with a sidewinder, discovered parts of the mine that aren't on the abandonment plan. Um, so that was quite exciting. But that that's a fantastic mine system. There's a few different sections to it. There's a north section, which is a bit shallower. There's an eastern section which goes down to about 35 metres and there's a southern section that's probably not for the faint-hearted. Visibility's not as good, some stability issues and restrictions. The, the funny thing about Ruscobi Limestone Mine is it, it was, uh, well it's not, not funny but there's a couple points to this, so... Up until about 2018, it was it was generally accessible. Anyone could go and dive there. And that still is the case. But in 2018, 2019, a massive sinkhole appeared in the access route up to the mine system. So the local authorities closed the parking area. So unfortunately, now there is no parking. I was kind of really lucky. I'd bumped into someone that was building a house in the area. And they generously allowed me to park on their land, which still gave me access to the mine system. So I, I probably, well, fact, I am the only person in the UK without sounding too self-patronising that has now got parking access to that mine system. So I kind of get a lot of requests through from divers to go and dive it. And I'm happy to arrange something and take them diving there. No charges or anything. You know, we're just divers going to enjoy a a nice dive in that fantastic mine system, but kind of lucky that way. Another interesting thing about Roscobie Limestone Mine is you've effectively got a couple of different seasons. The mine system never really changes in temperature from about five or six degrees. So whether it's summer, the mine's five or six degrees. Whether it's winter, the mine system's five or six degrees. What becomes interesting is that in the summer, there's a big head pool that's probably about 100 maybe 120 metres in length and probably 30 or 40 metres wide. In the summer, that raises temperature to about 15, 16 degrees, but the mine still stays cold. So as you swim in, you get the ice cream headache as the cold water kind of fills your hood. <laughs> but likewise, in the winter time, the head pool drops to two or three. In fact, sometimes it's frozen and we have to break the ice to get in. So you get a nice dive under mine dive. And then you actually swim into the mine and the temperature goes from two, three degrees to six degrees. So you get the opposite benefit. You go, oh, this is actually warm. <laughs> but what's funny, diving on the sidewinder compared to my, my, my friends who dive on open circuit is sometimes if we do a deep dive, one of the benefits of diving CCR is that you get very little decompression time depending on the, the profile of dive that you've just uh, undertaken. Because they're diving open circuit, they'll maybe swim out the mine and have like 15 minutes deco in two degrees water where I'm like, well, I'm done. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Uh, so I just leave them freezing at, 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 at three, four meters while I'm out warming up. So it's um, so so that's Roscobie. There's another mine system. Listen, it's probably a little bit kind of contradictory because we call it Project X and we try and keep it a relative secret, but we post all over social media about it. Um, but that system. It by far is the most expansive mine system in Scotland, if not probably the UK. Um, Dinas and places like that in Wales are quite expansive. 
And, you know, we, we'd explored that starting in 2016 and no one else had really been in there. And to the point now the project's completed and uh, there's probably over 5,000 metres of line in there. So it's an amazing system. It's probably a little bit more dangerous, probably the wrong word, but there's more challenges in Project X than somewhere like Ruscobi. The passages are tighter. There's major stability issues, more sort of hazards, barbed wire, oil drums, and the navigation. If you were to go and try and dive that full system, it wouldn't be uncommon for you to have to make 50, 60 navigational decisions. It's like a maze. So they're the, the kind of two mine systems up here. There's another one, uh, very short, called Hodge Close, which actually features in The Witcher, the, the series. That's a few hours away. It's a, a nice dive for a change. There's a video on YouTube. You'll be able to go on and see it. And um, and then kind of over to the, um, the East Coast, you start to get into all the, the cave systems in North Yorkshire, like Hurtle Pot and Malin Cove. And so there's lots of cave dives as well. But then the mines are always a little bit... They're there. They're, they're not weather dependent. It can be pouring with rain, blowing with wind, and you can go and dive a mine. If it's pouring with rain in North Yorkshire, you're going to do a dive that's maybe a metre, two metre vis, and pulling yourself through the cave system because the flow's that strong. But yeah, I don't really do much open water diving uh, or ocean diving. I generally dive with my good lady on holiday a couple of times. You know, we did the bull shark dive there because we've not done it for a while. But generally, most of my diving, 99% of it's overhead and pretty much 99% of the UK's solo overhead. So, Oh, wow. Okay, because I was just about to ask, do you have a... a... Uh, like consistent group of people that you go out with, but mostly it's it's going to be solo diving? Mainly solo, just because, well, a few points. Like I kind of said at the beginning, I don't kind of stick to GUE divers or CDG divers. or I just like to kind of, let's go dive, let's be safe, let's have a plan, let's follow the plan. You're fine with that, I'm fine with that, and let me take some pictures and make some video. Right. So good friend of mine, Alan Purcell from the CDG, I dive with him regularly in Roscoby. Chris Elliott, who's also in the CDG, I dive with him as well. Um, so there's a few guys I dive with. Point is, is that one, I like to get up early. So most mornings I'm up about 3.30, 3.45 a.m. Get into the gym, keep fit. I think that's a, a big point in diving, especially in these type of environments that that a lot of people underestimate. In the summertime, I can get up and and beat a cave system for or mine for 5, 5.30 in the morning and maybe half an hour, an hour to get ready, get the tanks hiked up and uh, can go dive for three, four hours on my own on the rebreather. And it's just quiet. It's just me. It's the cave. <laughs> no waiting for a buddy to gear up. Uh, so... You know, if I want to stay a bit longer, stay a bit longer. So just the kind of freedom of diving solo and and being a bit weird, the fact that I get up early and, and do I mean, I'll, I'll get up early, drive three hours, go dive at Hartle Pot, you know, two hours, two and a half hours, come out and, and you know, it's maybe like 10 a.m. in the morning and the guys for the CDG are just arriving. So it's good because <laughs> I don't get in their way if they're teaching so and, and listen you know the, these things come with risk but but so does everything you just need to make sure you have the right equipment the right redundancy and you try and mitigate as much as your risks as possible and uh, and again that kind of comes in why i like to try and keep relatively fit as i get i always have but especially as i get older Um, i think cardiovascular fitness and core strength really helps with one the dive and long dives you know three hours plus and I think it actually really assists with trim. If you've got good glute strength and, and lower back strength, it really helps your diving. Okay. Okay. No, no, that's a very, very good point. And to be honest, so when, when I lived in Texas, um, I, I was able to dive a lot more. We had a freshwater, pretty big freshwater lake there. And I, I really did enjoy solo diving. Looking back on it now, I probably would change a couple things, you know, like more redundancy, just kind of putting more things in place to be safer. But, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I always completely enjoyed it more than going with a group of people. So I could definitely see that side of it just because 
you're on your own time. I don't want to say you don't have anybody to worry about, but it's it's it, it kind of takes the aspect away of I don't have to worry about anybody else. I know I'm good. I'll take care of myself. And I know that, yeah, I mean, there's the big, you know, there's arguments about everything, but no, I, I definitely can respect that and know, definitely know how that feels. Cause there is a, there is like a, a, a not, I don't want to say niceness, but um, there is a joy in it for sure to be able to just kind of go out, do your own thing and, you know, return all on your own terms, not waiting for somebody. So, so I do have a, a, a question to not really bring it back a little bit, because obviously it seemed like you're pretty comfortable in the water. But when you finished up, do you remember going into your first overhead environment, like not necessarily training, but like you finished your training, you're like, okay, I'm going to go. And I'm assuming, you know, if you did go solo, do, do you remember that at all? Kind of like going into that, was there nerves going into it? Or was it like, okay, like, I just finished up training, I'm, you know, I'm good to go. Like, let's go and do that. Do you remember that first dive or those first couple of times that you went and did that? Yeah, um, I sure do. And I think to a point, the minute you don't, or when you stop having a little bit of nerves, you should maybe stop diving because I think complacency start to kick in. And I'm not saying, you know, certainly you can't let that nervousness take over. But yeah, it, I mean... <sighs> don't do as I'm, I'm telling people but um, as I'm about to tell you to do but I, I was kind of as qualified as cavern course so if you think at cavern it was like diving sits and it you know it wasn't like doing complex navigation and it wasn't doing like no visibility but that didn't really align with UK overhead diving so I was kind of really pushing the limits of a cavern course and prod full cave before I'd even done the qualification. However, and it's, it's not justification, but I was diving side mount, I was super comfortable for the problem with a regulator, I had the redundancy. The second part it was the mine system I was in, whilst there was complex navigation involved, there was numerous exit points and I knew where they were. But I can remember being cavern trained, going to a school be mine, myself really for the first time, and going in and going, oh, oh I might not come out. <laughs> and, and <laughs> but, um, you know, the thing for me, and, and it kind of reverberates through all parts of training, but especially overhead, is, is don't rush it, you know. Don't push too far and certainly don't push too far when you've not got the experience or without being overly confident, aren't comfortable that if a situation arises, and I've had a couple, that you can't deal with it. And listen, accidents are always going to happen and they typically happen as an accumulation of two or three or four things. And sometimes the dive's just not meant to happen, you know. So if you arrive at a dive site and you've got one problem, you're like, nah, I'll be all right. And then you go, another problem, maybe just get out of the water and call it a day. And uh, so, yeah, I've had a little bit of nerves, probably partly down to my background of serving in the military and seeing a bit of active service. My stress levels don't really uh, register like most people. And that was apparent. When I was doing my advanced side mount workshop, I could see Tristan really try to push me to the limit, and I go right, okay, right. What, what's next? Um, <laughs> and and you should go on and look at Steve Bogarts. He's got a fantastic video online. I mean, you're breathing from the tank, you know, directly whilst oh. inside <laughs> a cave, and so it's a fantastic workshop. And I think that so for me gradual progression know the systems don't push the limits too far by the book don't push the limits your qualification but clearly i was but you know build up lots of hours and and let's say i'm repeating myself now but real gradual progression the overhead environment generally there's one way in a couple ways out and um you get a problem you can't go up yeah yeah no for sure and um so i'm i'm kind of, you know, excited, nervous, whatever you want to call it. But because I've done uh, a little overhead in my time, just some cavern stuff. And then earlier this year, I did take an advanced rec course. Um, and, you know, so we were doing some penetrations, line laying, things like that. And it is, it really does add a whole, you know, new, you got to go in there with a different mindset for sure. 
And that, that that's actually going to be my next question. And sorry, sorry to jump in, Nick. How did you find that? Did you do that in back mount twin set? Did you do it in side mount? How did you find the course? Uh, the advanced yeah. uh, rec course? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. And I did it in side mount. Good. Absolutely loved it. So I, I started side mount diving a couple of years ago and just absolutely fell in love with it. So in, in Texas, where we were diving freshwater lake, it's more of a reservoir. So it the, uh, the level of the lake varies. Lots of rain comes up, no rain goes down. And at this point, there was probably like two flights of stairs going down and just back mount doubles i was like no i did it a few times i don't want to going down the stairs isn't so bad but at the end of the dive yeah the tanks are lighter i know blah 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 but just it was just something that i was like i'm i'm good you know like, i don't want to do the back mount doubles got introduced to side mount absolutely fell in love with it um i i do try to side mount dive as much as possible it just kind of depends on what i'm doing from diving with my girlfriend we're just you know single tank back mount if i can go and kind of do my own thing it's generally going to be side mount and uh, i went to subic bay in the philippines and there's quite a quite a few wrecks there particularly the we trained on a couple but one of them was the new york and it like I, i've mentioned it before we're like you know as we're going in we're laying line um, you really get like uh, uh, like the, the way that I explain it, like you just feel alive, <laughs> you know? like, like you start going in, everything starts narrowing and you get to these points where like you, you couldn't turn around if you wanted to. Like at this point, it's not very long, but, you know, it's like a single track corridor going and then, yeah. you know, you go through a little bit, then you could turn around, come back out. But when you're in there, just it was just such a mind blowing feeling for me because it's not, you know, as you, like your recreational type dive, right? Where it's like, oh, I could just get up to the surface at any point in time safely, obviously. But it's like, no, there's there's no option here, you know? Like you have to keep going forward. There's no like, you know, maybe I can shimmy back, but like you could just go forward, turn around, come back. But it was just a very exhilarating experience. There was some challenges. The uh, lost line drill was you know a little bit of a challenge <laughs> yeah uh, but i mean it's supposed to be right it's a course and no i absolutely loved it and so i did my actually my side mount training i've taken a few courses uh side mount but the one that i particularly really enjoyed the most was i i did it with a shop in mexico and they're kind of prepping you to go into the cave you know so we uh, I can't remember. There's one really popular spot right there. Uh, I can't remember. It's like a big swimming area. And then there's a little cavern zone. I'm, I believe, I'm sure there's a cave there. Ponderosa. But yes, yeah. Ponderosa. Yes. And so we did a lot of training in there, went to a few other spots. And I'm actually going back. That's the, the shop that I'm going back to uh, in May to start the overhead training. And kind of like you were speaking. Under the jungle, is it? With Natalie and, yes. and Vince, great guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I have, do you know Aria? Yeah. 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 So, um, I'm going to be doing my cavern and intro and kind of the same thing. I was just like, Hey, I'll be down here. I'm planning to go down there for a month. I'm like, let's just start intro or cavern and intro and see where it goes. Like, I know some people will go down there with the full plan. Like, Hey, let's go full cave. But I was like, let's just, you know, start with this and see where it goes, see where the skill set needs to improve. But no, I really, really enjoy it. And I'm really looking forward to it just because the eventual goal is to make it back out here because there is kind of more caves opening up in the Asia area. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in Indonesia, very little stuff in Malaysia. They're still kind of exploring um, some stuff in Thailand. I know there's a big system in China but I guess those are pretty, pretty aggressive, pretty deep, um, you know, not for the the faint of heart, as you were kind of saying earlier. So, no, it's definitely I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's nice to going into the advanced rec course. So I took it with Andy Davis out in Subic. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it because he adds a lot more to the course than what's actually there, which is always nice when you find an instructor like that. And so I'm learning a lot of different aspects, but just to kind of, you know, you're, you're getting task loaded and almost kind of see like, not necessarily where your breaking point is, but just like, okay, like, okay, I could do this. That's comfortable. Now I'm going to add this. 
Okay, things are starting to get a little shaky. Okay, now I'm going to add this. And then you can kind of really test yourself and see where you need improvement, which is always a huge thing because it's like, okay, left that course or left that left today. I need to work on this, this and this before moving on to the next you know, thing. And things like that, I really do enjoy just because it's kind of like just that challenging aspect of it, right? Like, okay, if... I'm, you know, take a step back and make this a little bit better Then that thing. The next thing will be just easier because, you know, going back to those core foundational skills or whatnot. So, but no, I absolutely loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. Really look forward to doing more overhead, but something I'm not pushing, but it's just something that kind of keeps interesting me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, Go just a little bit further, see what happens. Go just a little bit further, see what happens. So, so no, I enjoyed it. And, but yeah, that was going to be my, my question for you is, so when you're going into a cave or a mine and you know, you're about to, to lay some new line or just kind of do some exploring, tell me about the mindset and like the preparation going into that. You know, like, do you, do you sit back and like meditate? Is it really methodical? And you're just like, okay, one, two, three, four, or is it like, uh, does that question kind of make sense? Yeah, sure. So firstly, it's, it's kind of tone all the way through this. Even the exploration in these projects has been very progressive. You kind of want to stay within the realms of, right, I'm exploring a new tunnel, I'm exploring a new passage. I don't want to go too far from where I know is, I mean, don't get me wrong, you're laying a line, you've got a continuous line to the surface. But a lot of it is kind of um, let's just see what happens. So when I'm kitting up to get ready, I'll, I'll go through my checks. One of the things I use that probably a lot of solo rebreather divers use is I actually have a small mirror. And just so I can do a full bubble check, because we know buddy can't really do a bubble check. It's actually really handy if you're teaching students or if you're guiding, because you can actually just check, make sure that you've not lost them. Um, <laughs> so um, I still do a little bit of teaching, but not too much. I'm probably more interested in doing my own thing now. But when I'm kitting up, I'm just doing my checks methodically, not rushing, making sure everything's as it should be, nice and tight, nice and secure. And then as I descend, um, I'll just do a quick bubble check on the rebreather and I'll literally just get nice and buoyant, um, you know, nice and comfortable, adjust the temperature in the water. And and just because, as you know, that the whole kind of pyramid of diving, you know, the buoyancy, the propulsion and all these kind of things and trim, if any of them are wrong, you're not really going to have a good dive. So, um, <laughs> you know, if one's wrong, it, it's kind of something. So get nice and comfortable in water. And, and sometimes the exploration will become the chance. So, for example, I can remember exploring Project X and thinking I'd pretty much finished and laid all the line. And, and as I was swimming, and, and probably because you spend hundreds of hours in these systems, you know, you just not become overly familiar with it because that's dangerous to a point and breeds complacency but I noticed a a, a, a tunnel or a, a hole in the wall that I'd not noticed before and went mm, I've not seen that before and I always carry a couple of primaries so with you know 200 meters of line on them and so I tie off the main line and through I go and went oh where did this come from? And literally, <laughs> literally, I run another two hundred meters out, and it's and I'm on the second one. So I did about an hour four five hundred meters that day of line. So sometimes it comes through luck by chance, and sometimes you. So in that instance, I ran out of line. I actually emptied two jump spools. Um, and thought, right, I'm down my last one, so better keep that, and also keep an emergency MCDG um, style on my arm. So the following week, I'd went back and, right, this is where I'm going, I'm going down the deep section, east section, and you prepare for it. It's then just a case of mapping it and checking that it's correct. So I've got the MNEMO, and I also use the, the Seacraft, um, navigation tooling is ENC3, which is great, and I use them. And again, you know, I've got an old slate that I can take bearings and and depths, and and I've got a, a petrol two on it. So it's just about you know making sure you're ready for the dive, and 
the minute the exploration doesn't feel right, there's a few times where more so in the mine systems that you come to a point and there's like a partial collapse and there's space to get through, but you just go, mm, is it worth it? And a few times I've went, no, it's not worth it. And fortunately, you'll find a parallel passage or another way through. So, yeah, it, it's just about making sure everything's in its place. You've got the redundancy in the backup. You need both the bailout cylinders and um, your gas planning's right. And you know, know your times and uh, off you go. But there's no real... Uh, this sounds a bit corny, but for me, and you touched on it, Nick, when you were doing your training on the wrecks, is that for me, diving, and, and I've got a busy full-time job, for me, diving's a lot of disconnect, it's a lot of meditation, and no matter how challenging to a point it becomes, especially in a dark cave or mine, on your own, and you're on the rebreather, and all you can hear is your breath going in, and out and in and out and apart from that it's complete silence it's it's so relaxing even if i'm exploring doing some exploring and laying line for me it really is just a peaceful relaxing environment that that's why i do so much cave and mind diving yeah no i absolutely love that because it really really is it's such a disconnect to be able to go and so having you know just very, very short time, the tri-dives on the rebreathers, but I've heard that such a transition. Like at one point someone was telling me, cause, uh, we were doing a course, I was doing my ANDP course and there was a rebreather diver there. And I, I can't remember how far off he was, but he's like, Oh, I can, I can hear you yeah. guys when you get in the water. He's like, it's, it's, he's like the, the mood of the fish change when you get in the water. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm like, man, that's, you know, truly the the silent world. And it's something I'm very much looking forward to. But just a just a quick question on that note, and, and you kind of did answer it. But when you're when you're laying line and, and you're, you know, exploring, adding new line, have you ever gotten to a point, I'm assuming it would either be gas management or kind of like you were saying, you're like, no, that I just I'm not going to go through. But you know you have enough gas to keep going if you want to, but you just have to turn around. Like, have you ever hit a point, or is it, or maybe you're you hit your gas management time, and you're like, okay, I have to turn around, but I'm looking forward. Like, I'm gonna come back here tomorrow and kind of continue to push this. Yeah, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. So the great thing about the sidewinder or a rebreather to a point, especially where you've got bailout on the side right it's an easy switch close the dsv switch to your your backup regulator the real benefit is you know you have very little time stress gas stress and distance stress on a rebreather if you're doing some really deep dives but most of the dives i do don't really go past 35 meters and the average depth is generally going to be 12 to 18 meters depending on the profile so the deco is not a restricting factor the bailout gas isn't a restricting factor because i've also got numerous emergency exits that i can use the only thing that ever really stops me turning around or sorry stops me going further is when i look at something and either i'm going right i won't get through even with a, a tank off or where there's there's major stability issues and you go right if this collapses then i don't have an alternative exit so and 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 that's probably to a lesser extent yes there's stability issues within cave systems especially and you'll see it when you're down that the, the tragedies that are unfolding with the whole train maya in mexico just now is creating some real problems for some of the the local cenotes, the environment and the wildlife, but it's generally in the UK in a mine system, it's it's generally the, the stability of a potential passage that you'll go, mm, no. And I think when you get that kind of gut instinct, you're best to listen to it. It's better to be out here and wishing you were in there than in there and wishing you were out here. Yeah, no, definitely. So. I could, yeah. <laughs> No, that's uh, that's some some heavy words right there for sure. Well, right on, man. I um, just got one more question for you, and then I'll, I'll let you go on about your day. You know, I usually like to ask an advice question towards the the end of the episode. 
uh, or podcast or whatnot. So somebody that might, well, you kind of, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, the challenges from challenges of going from warm water to cold water diving. So somebody that wants to do diving in the type of area that you're in, that's never really done cold water diving, what kind of advice could you give to that person to help them along the way a little bit? Like, cause I, I've never actually done, I've done cold, you know, Texas cold, which is nowhere near the cold that you're dealing with. Yeah. So what, like what kind of pieces of advice, like, you know, gear wise or just mental prep wise going into something like that, that could help somebody. Probably if you've just been a warm water diver, and I use the term loosely, but let's say you've been used to diving Mexico, so cave systems typically 24, 25, ocean all year round's probably 28, 29, maybe as high as 30. To come to somewhere like the UK with the ocean at best, maybe 15 degrees, and to go to overhead where you know you could be anywhere from 3 to 9 degrees, there's probably nothing mentally can prepare you for that. Um, <laughs> but um, um, you know, and, and it was funny coming back from Mexico, Nick, because I'd been two weeks, and then last week I was back, and I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> however, it's like everything. People say to me, how you know the guy I die with, and Tristan, who's more of an instructor, um, mentor, more of a friend now. We've known each other a long time. Um, you did four hours in four degree water. How do you manage it? And it's like everything to a point with the right exposure equipment. So dry suit for long run times, right base layers. I use weasel undergarments and heating underneath. So typically heated gloves to help with dexterity. Um, dry gloves, obviously. Heated um, undersuit, really just the core. And when it gets really cold, add in the heated socks. Just the right undergarments. The minute you start to get cold in these environments, you're really going to struggle. And we used to see that teaching. You know, you'd be up in Loch Long teaching a dry suit course and someone can't get their low-pressure inflator off their dry suit as part of their dry suit course because their hands are numb. It's just getting... And, and a lot of people steer away from dry gloves because... And I did it to a point. I mean, up until 2018... I was diving to, you know, three, four degree water with like wet gloves on because lay in line, I would, I believed I'd better dexterity. But in time, like everything, with the right dry gloves and with practice, your dexterity is actually better because your hands are warmer. We all make the mistake with scuba, whether it's training or equipment, we rush. I mean, think about over the years, the equipment you've bought because it looked great and then you're going... You know, this is rubbish. Why did I ever buy that? Right? So the advice would be, whether it's equipment, training, or exposure, take your time as much as you want to rush, get the right instructor, do all your research online, get the right equipment, and then you'll probably buy it once. So the right equipment, the right training, and take your time. Yeah, no. For sure. I, I, I've heard the term before. Uh, a friend of mine on the podcast was buy once, cry once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? So no, no, that's uh, it's it. So for me, I was thinking I was like, man, maybe I'll do like a, a progression of cold, you know, like go somewhere like where I know it's a little bit colder, maybe like the, the Pacific Northwest in the United States. And then, which is, you know, pretty cold year round in the ocean. And then maybe try to like eventually get into some winter ice type diving. I, I have this crazy idea. I think it'd be cool to go take a ice diving uh, course, but you know, just, I feel like I'd be setting myself up for failure if I just came from, you know, Southeast Asia just jumping into some cold See, water. See, you could come to Scotland to do mice diving, which is mine and ice diving, mice diving. <laughs> you do it in one day, it's the oh, same yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might have to hit you up on that because then I can, uh, uh, you know, kill a couple birds with, with one stone because I've always wanted to go to Scotland and then to be able to go there and dive would be uh, absolutely epic. Um, yeah. Just because, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a goal of mine. Well, right on, man. I really, really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. It's been absolutely wonderful and insightful to hear about the things that you got going on. And um, 
No, I, I will. You, uh, you know, I always joke around, and tell people we're we're friends for life now that we're we've done a podcast together. So you'll probably find me knocking on your door at some point in time. I think I need to get a little bit more overhead training first. <laughs> yeah, sure, Nick. You're, you're more welcome. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, if you've been on the YouTube channel, have a look and uh, there'll be more videos going up in the next few weeks, months. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, once again, thank you, man. I really, really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Nick. Podcasting, a scuba podcast.